the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Silicon Valley Business Connections, brought to you by the Silicon Valley Black Chamber of Commerce, where diversity and opportunity are one, from education to employment, entrepreneurship to innovation. This program is your weekly connection to the latest trends and opportunities taking place all across Silicon Valley. Host Carl Davis Jr. talks to the rock stars of Silicon Valley and offers you engaging interviews and insights from local, regional, and internationally acclaimed business leaders, entrepreneurs, and community leaders to help you stay connected. Now, here's your host, Carl Davis Jr. Hi, I'm Carl Davis Jr., and welcome to Silicon Valley Business Connections. I'm your host for the day, but I'm also the president of the Silicon Valley Black Chamber of Commerce, where we help small businesses start, finance, grow, and even exit their businesses for more profit. We have a wonderful, wonderful guest today, a very good friend of mine, Viera Y. She's the producing artist, and she's um, her company's called Tabia, African American Theater Asambo. And she's also the director of the San Jose Multicultural Arts Guild, and also, wow, a lot, president of the National Coalition of 100 Black Women in Silicon Valley. Welcome, Viera, and tell us a little bit about yourself before you dive into all those things you do. Well, thank you, Carl, and thank you for the invite. I'm excited to speak with you today. Yeah, we do go back a ways. Um, Our friendship has more culminated in the past couple of years. As you know, we use the facility, um, the San Jose Multicultural Artists Guild at the Chamber, and we're very glad to be there. Oh, i got to give a plug real quick, Fier, for that. People don't know it, but that's one of the things that the Chamber do. We house certain businesses. So we have eight eight offices in Vieira is in one of them. Thank you, Vera, for that. That's right. And so about myself, well, there's a lot, of course, to say about myself. Uh, I will tell my age publicly to the world, but I'm approaching that (laughs) tender age in December, a big one, which I can't believe. And life just becomes so more precious. I have to say, as you get older, when you're young and running around and raising my kids, it seems like you'll never get old, hopefully. Of course, you're hoping to, but then when it happens, things begin to become crystal clear as to what's important to you, your purpose, and all of that. And I'm at that point. Um, I feel really good about the work I've done with the theater and all the other uh, charitable organizations in the community. I've been doing it for over 34 years or so in San Jose. Wow. Originally from Baltimore, Towson to be exact. Um, which is the county um, north of Baltimore City. I grew up there, went to college there. And then when I graduated from college, I came to California with a theater degree wow. and didn't bother to look on a map to see that San Jose was 600 miles from Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's all been good. I got into the tech business and worked for Rome, IBM Siemens, on telecom for over 30 years, and now I'm at Intel. But I have done theater, used it as my passion, my ministry to really help 
educate youth and help in the community celebrate our culture and all of that. Very proud of the work that we've done as a theater company and continue to do. So we're celebrating 32 years. Wow. Congratulations, man. And I'm excited about hearing about this upcoming play. You have to tell our listeners about what's this upcoming play. Yes, absolutely. So we're bringing Rain Pryor, Richard Pryor's daughter. Richard Pryor's daughter. And if you've seen a picture of her, you know she looks just like her dad. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's good she, or bad, Vera. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's true. Well, from a feminine standpoint. Oh, okay. Okay. Practice girl. Um, and I saw her show at the Black Theater Festival two years ago, and I wanted to bring it. At that time, she had a trio, and it was actually more cabaret style. She has changed it slightly, and I went down to L.A. and saw it about a month ago. And it's fascinating. When she channels her dad, uh, it's like seeing Richard on stage. <laughs> so Rain grew up, um, she has a Jewish mom, very traditional um, as far as all of their culture and um, everything that they do as far as their holidays and all that. So she grew up in that, very Jewish mm. um, tradition. So she does a one-woman show, and she brings to life her dad and her mom and her grandmom. And so it's just very fascinating and being biracial, growing up in Beverly Hills. So she tells those stories about oh her dad uh, being biracial, being accepted or not accepted. And, of course, it's she's very funny. It's hilarious Wow, and very heart-wrenching. I, I, I want to say something because I want this picture to get out there. This is Richard Pryor reincarnated, part That's black, right. part Jewish, doing That's a right. show. <laughs> when, when and where is this show at, Vieira? I want to come That's to right. see this. That's right. So it's Sunday, August 27th. Uh, 7.30 p.m. at the Jewish Community Center, so the Levi campus in Los Gatos. And if you're familiar with San Jose, right off of Block Avenue, very easy to get to. Now, do you uh, have a, do you have a, yeah, do you have a, and I'll let you say that again. Do you have like a website or some number if somebody's listening to the program and they'd like to call and get tickets? Yes, yeah, so information um, can be found. You can get it at San Jose Multicultural Artists Guild right there in your office. Um, the website is sjmag.org, sjmag.org, and you can get information and go to the website there. The tickets are on brown paper tickets, so if you call the number 408-272-9924, you can get the link to the brown paper tickets and, and talk to Marlene, who's our admin person. But again, the website is sjmag.org. Man, I can't, I can't wait to see this. I, we're going to repeat that again. But now tell us a little bit about all the other things that you've done that led up to this. Well, as I say, the theater's been around for 32 years. We've done some incredible theater. Um, I've also done work with workshops with youth. Beyond Beachman and the Black Educators bring a group of high school students every year to our shows, and we have a matinee show for them, and we discuss with them the themes of the plays. So the last show we did was um, the Quilters of G's Ben, and so that's based on a true story. These ladies of um, Alabama, G's Ben is a small town. They begin their quilting, of course, to keep warm for very practical sense, and it was discovered but this is wonderful artwork, and so what they did, um, just to cover up the holes in the walls and 
all of that uh, being sharecroppers and so forth, they were discovered, and now they're, quote, sell for $20,000. Wow. But really exciting story, um, wonderful play. I'm so proud of it. It touched on our history. It was during the civil rights period. The play takes place, so it shows their life through that period and the contributions they made. And just everything of our history is involved in that, and our aunties and our grandmoms and our moms and how we connect as community, which, as you know, we so need right wow. now as far yeah. as a connection and educating our young people and making them feel valued wow. and having a purpose. Wow. You know, that's a perfect segue to the one I want you to talk about, you being the president of the National Coalition of 100 Black Women in Silicon Valley. There are a lot of people, when I talk about the 100 black women, they go, 100 black women? <laughs> Who are they, right? So can you give us like a, maybe a little history of the 100 black women as an organization and in what you've done here in Silicon Valley? So it is a national organization, but the Silicon Valley chapter was formed in 1996. Mm-hmm. We still have two members, founding members, that are um, part of the organization and involved, and such good work. And as you know, dealing with a lot of the people that are part of the chapter, I've also um, worked with you, and we've done some programs mm-hmm. together yes. involving the economic empowerment, um, the grant writing workshops, and so forth. So it's about health, education, and empowerment for women and girls, but also for the whole community. So our biggest, one of our signature programs is the Peace Mart program, which is education. We do fundraisers to send girls of color to camps. Wow. Wow. And of course, arts has been added in, and we do our own uh, workshop and camp, and I bring the arts piece in, so we do some theater. So we have added the STEAM, but it's really getting them interested in technology and science and pursuing college degrees and careers in that. The numbers, you know, as I mentioned, I work for Intel. I'm looking mm-hmm. at diversity and inclusion, and the numbers just aren't where they need to be as far as representation and parity. And, of course, we know there is lots of um, good jobs and money to be made and careers to be had, and we want to grow the girls of color to have interest in that. Man, so I... a lot of the work we do is around that and education and, of course, health and well-being for the community. Just, you know, I could go on and on. We have many, many good programs that we have. Not 100 women in our chapter working towards <laughs> about 30, so it's a lot of work, but we love what we do, and oh. I think it really has an impact. I was at the uh, San Jose Tech Museum uh, not too long ago, and I was just... I was just uh, fascinated by all the different things and the maker things. They have people designing things. And, and obviously, you know, you're there and you, you don't see many uh, African-Americans there. But uh, that's one of the things we hope to change because we're going to work that's with right. them. You know, right. I, I, I either heard this or what is this thing about the Black Legends Award and you, Vieira? so you were a part of that and i thank you for that yes i've been i was the inaugural one of them black legends yeah and a clara for my work with the theater uh and recognized for over 31 years wow and it means a lot uh to me and it's not about me but it's really about the work and i really try to stay humble about it but it's nice to get a pat on the back because people yeah. don't realize, as you, I do, do realize, is how much work is involved, how much sacrifice, yeah. how much time, and that you really do have to make it a priority. And it's not something you can just do when you feel like it. So yeah. there's been a lot of time 
and involve my children. I have two sons that are 33 and 34 years mm-hmm. old, and they have gone through that with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just an appreciate for them. So when I'm awarded and they were both able to be there, you know, it was a very proud moment for them I'm, and for myself. I bet that was, so. you know, I want everybody to, to get a chance to go over this again. The play is called Prior, right? The play is actually called Fried Chicken and Latkes. What? It's called so, fried chickens and what? Is, yes, and I'm glad you fried chicken and latkes. So latkes is like a Jewish pancake, <laughs> I've been informed and educated. So it's really, you know, those two meals are mixing. So the cultures, right, the African-American and Jewish culture. Well, fried so, chickens and latkes, and you can get this at sjmag.org. And the phone number yes. is 408 272 9924. And we have Viera Y on, and we're almost out of time. Time, but Viera, we've enjoyed just talking to you. We have to bring you on again. There's so much more I know you can share. Yes. <laughs> yes. And thank you, Carl. And I uh, appreciate the work that you do. I know you've worked in the community for a long time, also in different aspects, but it's all about bringing community together and, and connecting. Oh, you exactly uh, it's so right. It's important to me that we not save our children, but we hear such bad news every day. We need to celebrate the good stories about our youth, and we need to be role models for them. We need to walk the walk and talk the talk, and that's what I'm about. Wow. Hopefully um, bringing passion and purpose to people and that they see that in me, that my yeah. light shines, that they know their light could shine. Well, you said it. You've said it all, Vera. We're going to have to wrap it up, but uh, we love having you on again. Stay connected. You're listening to Silicon Valley Business Connections. This is Silicon Valley Business Connections with Carl Davis Jr., brought to you by the Silicon Valley Black Chamber of Commerce. More information about today's show is available by going to the Chamber's website, blackchamber.com, or call 408-288-8806. Now, back to Silicon Valley Business Connections. Hello, Curtis Mayfield, moving on up. Speaking about moving on up, welcome back to the Silicon Valley Business Connection with Carl Davis and his better-looking half, Carl Welch. Of course, I am Carl Welch. Carl just had an incredible conversation with Viera Y, the director of To Be an African American Theater Ensemble. We are going to flip the script a little bit, and I'm going to talk to a great friend of mine by the name of Lawrence Ross. Lawrence is a is an alpha man, tried and true, connoisseur of fine wines, and I can't say the rest. <laughs> I can. <laughs> Let me tell you a little bit about Lawrence. I'm very proud of this young gentleman, even though he's 51 years young and about to run a marathon. We will talk about that. Lawrence was a history major at the University of California, Berkeley, and UCLA. He got a master's in fine arts uh, uh, from UCLA in the School of Theater, Film, Television, and Screenwriting. Lawrence has written six books. I say written, written six books and has lectured at over, what, about 600 colleges and universities across the nation. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lawrence is the author of uh, the Los Angeles bestsellers. The Divine Nine, which we're going to talk about later, which is an incredible book. You all have to pick it up and read it and then buy it and give it to your friends. And he has a new blockbuster out. I guess it came out in 2016. Yes, Uh, it came out February 2016. Right. Black Ball, the black and white politics of race on America campus. All right. So, Lawrence, welcome to the show. Oh, I am so proud to be here. I am really pretty proud to be here. Well, I'm very proud to have you. So, if you are a part of a university or a campus and you want to hear Lawrence lecture, I just want to give this out and we'll talk about it a little later. You can reach, you can email Lawrence at alpha1906 at gmail.com. That's alpha as in alpha phi alpha 
alpha1906 at gmail.com or go to thelawrenceross.com. All right, you were talking about bucket lists. Let's quickly go to that. You, you're going to do a marathon. Yeah, I'm, 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 you know, I'm going to run the Chicago Marathon on, wow. uh, on October 8th. Oh. I'm running it for the uh, Museum of Science and Industry just to see whether or not I can do it without dying. <laughs> and the full marathon, not a half marathon, not a 5K. A full, well, it's a full marathon, and for about the first five minutes, I'm going to pretend that I'm going to win it. <laughs> <laughs> and then for the next five hours, I'm just going to try to survive. It. Just so, survive, uh, right? So you yeah, and yeah. you and other partners of yours are going, and you guys are you guys are trying to earn money for various uh, benefits and foundations. Yeah, uh, one of one of our frat brothers, uh, Raymond Kaiser, is running for uh, for a cancer uh, institute. No. Uh, I'm running for the Museum of Science and Industry. And so it, what happens is that typically what we try to do is we try to raise around a thousand dollars. Um, for these uh, various groups. And okay. if people want to donate, anyone wants to donate, they can definitely email me. I really appreciate it. We're about $600 away from our goal. Okay. And uh, so we'd like to try to get over $1,000 because they do a great, lot of great services in the city of Chicago. So again, email him at alpha1906 at gmail.com. Also, the book, The Divine Nine, is about the uh, history of African-American fraternities and sororities, which we uh, are, do belong and blackballed the uh, black and white politics of race on America's campuses. Both are available on Amazon.com and Barnes & Noble, right? Yes, they're both uh, uh, available online. And right. if you, for example, if you're in the Bay Area, if you're in Oakland, I'm pretty sure that Marcus Books has Marcus Books, them. exactly, exactly. All right, so let's get into it. Tell me one thing. Yeah. Why blackballed lectures on campuses? Why do you, why do, you do these lectures? Well, you know, the fun thing is that, okay, so I've been lecturing about uh, African-American fraternities and sororities for about a good 15, 20 years, mm -hmm. 15, about 15 years. Uh, the Divine Nine came, around, came out in around 1999, 2000, right, right around t January 2000. And so I've been on college campuses and talking about, you know, the history of the organizations, of fraternalism in general. And I would notice that, um, that students would come up to me, students of color would come up to me and say, at predominantly white institutions, and say, you look. I'm not really having a great time here. You know, there's, you know, overt and covert racism that's occurring on campus. Um, whether or not you're talking about uh, predominantly white fraternities and sororities or having ethnic theme parties like the Cinco de Mayo parties where right. they ethnically, uh, ethnically stereotype uh, Latinos or blackface parties uh, during Martin Luther King's birthday where they paint themselves with blackface. And it, <laughs> it, it would happen on a regular basis. And so. Right. What would happen is oftentimes these students of color would have a, like what I call a transitory experience on campus, mm -hmm. right? You know, like we both went to Berkeley, you know, we would it, would, it would, it would be like they didn't really care about Cal. They cared about the people, you know, various people at Cal and then the, the institution itself, they really didn't care about. So it would be everybody from the people who worked in the cafeteria to the one professor who guided them through. That would be right, their connection right. and everything else would be done. Right. And so I began thinking to myself, I was like, let me dig deep to see whether or not this is just simply a millennial issue or whether or not this is a long-held issue in terms of the types of the racism. And sure enough, this is about five years ago, I found long legacies of you know different aspects of, of racism on campus tied to white supremacy. And that's a real, real big key. And a lot of times what happened was I noticed, you know, when writing the book Black Ball, that white supremacy was the one thing that university officials did not want to address. Want to so talk about, when right. I wrote Black Ball, yeah, when I wrote Black Ball, then I started doing Black Ball lectures about it. And UBC 
at the University of Virginia how it kind of uh, you know shows its face. Yeah, today, yeah. Um, so do you do you or did you get any backlash from any of the professors or universities when you actually uh, performed your lectures? Not at all. You know what's funny is that it seems uh, that most universities are open. I mean, some. Well, I didn't say most. I've been I've been in the last year and a half or so. I've been to approximately about fifty different schools. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just you know for blackball lectures. And most universities are open to hearing uh, the lecture, and then uh, and the students are too. I've been very very surprised by the the fact that students are are very interested in hearing. A lot of white students, in particular, typically go. I had no idea. Uh-huh. Um, you know, because I'm very blunt. I'm, I'm not. I don't do kind of like a kumbaya. Right. type of lecture uh, surrounding uh, white supremacy. I'm, I talk about its origins. I talk about how it manifests on college campuses right. and the, the effect it has on students of color. And because it's easy for, you know, for, for America to, for example, look at, you know, what happened uh, this weekend at, at University of Virginia and say, oh, though those people are kind of other, so they're not me. But it's harder to look at, for example, nice, neat, looking white students on campus who join fraternities and join sororities or just are, you know, going around and who perpetuate the same things. Yeah. But we don't think of them as being perpetuating white supremacy. Do you get a lot of good Q&As out of it? Love, yeah, a lot of great Q&A. My favorite Q&A, actually my favorite reaction on Earth, I have to say this, <laughs> is uh, I, had, I had these two, I was at a conference called the Association of Fraternal Leadership Values Conference in Indianapolis every year. And it's, uh, it's basically, I did a keynote speech for there. It was about like good four to 5,000 students there. And I had done my, uh, done my lecture and I had these two white uh, sorority members and they came out. I can't do their Mississippi, they went to Mississippi State. I can't do their <laughs> Mississippi State, their Mississippi accent. The accent, right. Like yeah, then they were like, Miss Ross, I just have to say that I love what you did. We are doing papers on the civil rights movement in 1950 between whites and black. And so it was just outstanding to see a lot of times you had uh, uh, white students who wanted right. to become not non-racist, but anti-racist. Right. Oh, um, good. And, and, and never had a, a voice uh, or never could understand where they could actually see themselves within the movement. Well, the academic the academic version of of social responsibility is totally different than what you put out. I'm sorry. The academic version, the, the, what they what they uh, get in school is totally different than what they're going to get out of you. Right. I mean, a lot a lot of times these students remember these students are coming from from America, as I always talk about. You know, we we talk about America having a a white supremacist foundation, right? There's, you know, America is schizophrenic in in in, in ways. Like it, you know, like most nations are in that on the one hand, we, we believe in the ideals and principles, uh, that we were founded on. We believe, you know, in, you know, freedom and justice and, and, and inequality, right? But at the same time, you can't, you can't not understand that the foundation of our country is based upon white supremacy. Right. And from there, policy like slavery or right. Jim Crow, uh, segregation. Right. Um, and so we fight against those, those, those two things. But even as we fight about those two things, you have to recognize where you are. So a lot of these students who come to, uh, you know, particularly white students who are coming on the college campuses are coming from, you know, neighborhoods that are, you know, racially segregated via housing uh, laws or redlining and educational and economic uh, discrimination. They're coming from majority, I think, I usually put up a map that shows where white people in America live and the, the, the disbursement of minorities, they typically come from about 80% white communities. So when they come on campus, we can't be surprised that they haven't had 
either an explanation of, of uh, the country that they live in mm-hmm. or the same experiences that students of color have in terms of by the time they get to a college campus. Right. A lot of this is either, either new to them or they're allowed to be in spaces where they don't have to talk about right. right. Now, listen, we only have two minutes left. Actually, this, you're like a good date that went very well real quickly. So don't you, tell me a little bit about the Divine Nine to, uh, quickly about that so that people can know uh, what they're going to get when they go pick up the book. So beautiful. So the Divine Nine is the very first book written about all nine African-American fraternities and sororities. Uh, Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated, uh, Kappa Alpha Psi, Omega Psi Phi Fraternity, Phi Beta Sigma, Iota Phi Theta are the black fraternities. And then for the sororities, you have Alpha Kappa Alpha, Delta Sigma Theta Sorority, uh, Zeta Phi Beta Sorority, and Sigma Gamma Rho. Right. Um, our fraternities and sororities were founded uh, from 1906 on, and basically they're designed to be a network, uh, both on, on a college campus, but you know, as alums, too, in order to create uh, not only the elevation of the African-American community in terms of, excuse me, in terms of working for social justice, but also uh, within the American society. So you have uh, within our organization some of the most uh, famous members of uh, the African-American community who are, who, are, who are members of our organizations. And we take pride in the fact that our uh, commitment to social justice doesn't end when we get our degree, which is kind of the difference between our organizations and uh, predominantly white fraternities and sororities. Not that the love for organizations, hey, you're going to find that on all sides. But, you know, when you are a member of our, you know, organizations, of our, our Divine Nine organizations, which you'll read inside the Divine Nine, you'll be able to see that uh, how much work we do yes. basically until we die. Yes. All right. Listen, I'm sorry we have to call this quits. Uh, you are one of the most eloquent young brothers I've ever met. Not not Barack Obama, but Lawrence Ross. Go to uh, Amazon.com or Barnes & Nobles or uh, go to... Um, his website, go to email him at alpha1906 at gmail.com or go look at his handsome face on Facebook. You are listening to Carl Welch and I am from Silicon Valley Business Connection and you just got through hearing from one of my great friends, Arthur Lawrence Ross. Lawrence, thanks for coming on, brother. I look forward to talking to you a little later. Thanks, Brad. I appreciate it. All right, brother. Peace, man. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Business Connections with Carl Davis Jr. and brought to you by the Silicon Valley Black Chamber of Commerce. More information about today's show is available by going to the Chamber's website, blackchamber.com. That's blackchamber.com. Or call 408-288-8806. That's 408-288-8806. Copies of our podcast are available online at blackchamber.com. If you would like to know more about a specific guest or make recommendations for upcoming guests and topics, email info at blackchamber.com. Keeping you connected. Silicon Valley Business Connections. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.